Well, welcome everyone. I hope everyone who is streaming in, who is watching right now, is healthy, is safe, has been encouraged by worship today. We're going to continue our Entrusted series. And yes, fam, we are talking about money, all right? So I'm going to start with a quote. I'm going to read a quote. It should come up on the screen. Um, and this, the, the quote says this, The writers of the Bible anticipated the problems we would have with money and possessions. There are more than 2,000 references. Our whole culture now is built on the premise that we have to have more money and more stuff to feel happy and secure. So we have too much stuff because we've bought into the myth that more stuff equals more happiness. And that's the total opposite of the truth and the opposite of what it says in the Bible. Now, this is a quote from an article in the Forbes magazine written a few years ago. And the title of this article was titled, The Bible, The Ultimate Financial Guide. So yes, fam, even Forbes magazine understands that when it comes to finance, the Word of God is the ultimate guide. The Word um, of, of God is what guides us and what teaches us how to steward our finances really well. So the next part of the quote says this, the number one most important biblical rule of finance, God owns everything. You may have bought that house, but he gave you the money to buy it, so it's his. So everyone at home streaming in, I want you to say it with me. God owns everything. Say it again. God owns everything. That's right. So the inference is this. If God owns everything, I own nothing. That's right. If God owns everything, then I own nothing. So we can take the pressure off of ourselves. We don't own all that we have. God owns it all. And because of that, He entrusts wealth. He entrusts blessing. He entrusts finance to us. And in this series, we're talking about what it is to be entrusted with that money when we have it. So Genesis 2 and verse 15 says this, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now say it with me again, say work it. Look at, your per- look at the person sitting next to you. If there's someone sitting next to you, tap them on the shoulder and say work it. Do it again, say work it. That's right. God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden and told him to work it. Now, can I just say this? Work was pre-sin. Work, let me say it again, was pre-sin. It was pre-the fall of man. So the, what, 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 what I'm trying to say is this. God's original design for us was to work. God's original design, the perfect design that He had for humanity was that we would know what it is to work what we've been given. And so in Genesis or in those times, what would it have been to work? Well, it's gardening. Now, I don't know if anyone out there is a fan of gardening. I'm sorry, I'm certainly not. 
Um, I don't do gardening, uh, mainly because I don't do dirt and I don't do bugs. I'm a classic city slicker. And so gardening is not my thing, but here's what I think. I think gardening um, in its, I guess, most basic form, gardening is taking raw potential and working it so that it becomes something new or something more. And in the same way, when it comes to uh, humanity and God's perfect design for humanity and what we've been entrusted with, the design is that we work it, that we take the raw potential, everything that God has given you and I, and we work it so it becomes something more or something new. Uh, we, we, we know Genesis 1:28. we know that blessing where God says, be fruitful and multiply, he says that we must uh, take dominion over the earth. Now, when it comes to finances, have you ever felt like you didn't quite have dominion over your finance, but maybe your finances have dominated you? Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like your finances have maybe limited you? limited your options, limited the choices that you have. Now, God's design is that we are not dominated by our finances or lack thereof or excess of, but instead that we take dominion over all that he has given us. And when I talk about that limit or that lack, I'm not talking about like... um, oh no, I can't buy a coffee this week. Or, oh no, I ran out of data on my plan, so I must go sit outside McDonald's for some free Wi-Fi. I'm not talking about that kind of challenge or limitation. I'm talking about the kind of challenge that says, maybe I can't send my child to give them the best education I think they deserve because I can't afford it. I can't fix my car for another two weeks or, or I, can't, uh, I can't go to the doctors because I, I, I don't know if I can afford it. Maybe I'll just sit and hope I'll get better. Maybe only if I get worse, then I'll go get a checkup. Those are all symptoms of what it is perhaps to be dominated by our finance or our financial situation. And so today, really, I just wanna share a couple of things that uh, Ben and I, we've been on this financial journey. And can I just look full disclosure from the beginning? Ben and I are not the best people. We are not the experts when it comes to finance, but we are on a journey. We wouldn't say we're the most successful people, but we are people who are progressing every day day. And so we'd like to share, or I'd like to share today, just three things that uh, that have really helped us when it comes to stewarding our finances, when it comes to being entrusted with the incredible uh, blessings that God has given us. And so uh, firstly, uh, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about culture and cash. I want to talk about the the, the, the culture of cash. And, and Alistair, when I say culture, I'm not talking about ethnicity, although that's included. 
Uh, I'm talking about, well, anything can have a culture. Um, our families have a culture, even sub to our ethnicities. Uh, Christianity has a culture. There's generational cultures. There are cultures in sports teams and in social groups, kind of any, any, anywhere where there's lots of uh, relationship going on, uh, interpersonal connection going on, the cultures are produced. And so uh, when I talk about culture and cash, perhaps the, the best way I can explain it is when it comes to food, because I'm a fan of food. I hope you are too. But see, uh, for, for, for me growing up, um, our, our, our favorite foods uh, were foods that my mum would cook, food like uh, fish and coconut milk with, um, you know, with their spring onions and chili and lemon and tomato and add that taro in there, that cassava or tavioca. And, and I am, and, and that's like amazing food to me. That's still to this day, one of my favorite meals. And that's the culture that we grew up in. Look, I, I didn't grow up in a house where my mum would walk around and if she wanted to offer us a snack, my mum was not offering us carrot sticks or pieces of celery. She was offering us taro from last night. And what's that? That's just culture. It's not better or worse than anything else, but that's culture. Our tastes are determined by our culture. And another thing is, is that in, in, in our household, we had rice with everything, with everything. So much so that I, I wasn't aware that you weren't supposed to eat rice with spaghetti bolognese. I, I, I knew the, new, the noodles and the mince, but I didn't know you weren't supposed to have rice with spag bowl. Every time we had spag bowl, we would always have rice. And it wasn't until I started hanging out with people of a different culture that I realized, oh, why aren't you have, where's the rice with the spag bowl? How come, like, is anyone gonna cook rice for this meal? And see, the reason is this, the reason is because we grew up with a single income household. My parents had divorced, my mum was raising us on her own. And because of that, we couldn't afford any more meat for every meal. So my mum would buy rice and we would have rice with everything because I have two older brothers Fijian, love sports, and when we were all teenagers, we just, we just ate. We were, we, those boys were hungry. My brothers were hungry boys. And so because we couldn't afford any meat, we would have extra rice. I didn't know that you could buy rice in little packs of 500 grams. I just thought it came in the huge sacks. And what's that? That's all culture. Culture is about what, telling us what's normal. So our, my experience of finance in that way was that there was, we, we, we had struggle. So because of that, there were things I just didn't ask for because I knew we couldn't afford it. And in the same way, even today, the culture and cash, that it, it's something that can carry the culture that we've come, that we've grown up in, our culture of origin, if you might say. So if you grew up in a house that 
perhaps talked about uh, financial portfolios or investments, you would have a good degree of financial literacy. But if not, you just wouldn't. And so even for me, there are times even today where I will still think, I'll still catch myself thinking, oh man, I don't, I don't know if I'm going to be able to own a house in Auckland. And that's not because I don't believe God can do it, but that's because I've come, I've come with a culture and experience of life that is now kind of murking the waters just a little. So in terms of that cultural perspective, there's a great scripture in the Word from Judges chapter 6 and verse 25 and 26 that says this. Uh, this is the story of Gideon. It's the story uh, where Gideon and his people, they have been oppressed for many, many years. And because of that, they're living in poverty. They're living in lack. And God speaks to Gideon. He says, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. And, and speaks these amazing words to Gideon that Gideon would save his nation. Uh, and, and then God goes on to say this in verse 25. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that's seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. Now I want to highlight this thought, this thought in verse 25 that says, tear down your father's altar. Now this I find really interesting because before Gideon is sent to take over the enemy, God doesn't give him money to buy weaponry. God doesn't train him to be a soldier. God says, go back and tear down the altar of your father. Now that's a cultural thing. Altars uh, in, the, in, in the Old Testament, they were places of worship. They were they were determining of value systems and what was brought to the altar, that was a determination of worth of who you were sacrificing to. So God was saying to Gideon, come on, tear down that old value system. God, or God was saying, only I can, can help you overcome this enemy. Only I can bring you out of the limitation. Only I can bring you out of the oppression. But the first thing God directs Gideon to do is to tear down the altar of old ways of thinking, old approaches. And even today as people are listening, I just believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you now, even highlighting ways of thinking that's limited, that's limiting, that's that possibly sounds like maybe what I've what I'd mentioned earlier. Oh, you're you're, you're not going to be able to own a house. You're always going to be in debt. Come on, that's that's an old way of thinking. That's not that's not what God designed for us. He designed that we would have dominion over, that we would be fruitful and multiply. 
But I believe right now that Holy Spirit just wants to tear down that culture of thinking, that approach to finances that says, perhaps you're never, you're never gonna have enough. You're always gonna struggle. That's not God, that's a lie of the enemy. And if that's you right now, man, I just believe there's a moment now where even as you're responding to God, as He's identifying these lies, I just sense God just saying, come on, tear it down. Tear it down and in its place, in its place, put Him there. That He is the Creator of the heavens and the earth. That He has said you are blessed and you will be fruitful and multiply. And so right now, I'm just gonna pray for you right now. Holy Spirit, where you're identifying those lies, we take authority over those lies in Jesus' Name and we break them. We break those mindsets that have been limiting. We break those statements that have been strongholds saying that we are limited. And right now, God, we just I just pray and just declare, God, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, that, that, that people would begin to think on these things and that those things would replace those lies. God, Your victory, Your abundance, Your grace, your supernatural power, Lord, that You are provider. You never leave, You never forsake. And right now, God, I thank You that old ways are being torn down and You are building something new and something great even now in people's minds and their hearts. In Jesus' Name. Thank You, Lord. The old is being torn down and a new thing emerges. And so Father, for every person who's responding, for every person who has identified the lie, I even pray right now, God, there would be a clarity in what You're speaking to them. They'd be able to hear You, hear you say clearly that they are victorious, that they are blessed abundantly, that they'll be able to live with no lack in Jesus' Name. Amen, amen. God is so good. He's so good. And I, man, I'm convinced even now in this moment that there's something supernatural taking place in your life. That what has limited you before no longer limits you. And I encourage you, man, if you respond to dream, dream today, set some goals. What's in your heart? What do you want to accomplish? What do you want your financial situation to look like? Come on, write it down. Pray on these things. Look at these things. Amen. Amen. We got to carry on. I could do this forever. Gosh, God is good. So that first thing, culture and cash. The second point today is, uh, is, is really an emotion-based economy. Now, this is something that, uh, that, I've, that we've really been learning 
Um, and, and I'm going to read to you another quote. This quote is from Paul Mazur of the Lehman Brothers. And he writes this. He wrote, we must shift America. He was an um, American investment banker and very prominent business person. We must shift America from a needs culture to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire, to want new things even before the old have been entirely consumed. Sound familiar? We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. Now, uh, this was a quote from Paul Mazur in 1927, so a long time ago. And at that point in time, it was the end of the World War, and they were trying to ensure that the American economy wouldn't crash because of overproduction. And so, so what they did was they taught everyone to not buy things because they needed them, but buy them because they wanted them. And you, you and I, it's, uh, we, can, we can both agree that that's the, that's the climate we live in right now. We don't necessarily purchase things because we need them. We purchase them often because we want them. And here's what I wanna say. Putting your wants above your needs um, effectively means that the economy of your household or the economy of your family is now based on your emotions. And that's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous thing to, to, to know and understand that, the, that, that really the, the economy of what, what, what is your, your family is now based on just how you feel which didn't used to bother me too much when I was younger. Now that I'm married and I have a son, that's a huge deal to me. Because if now I am now choosing to purchase things because I want them, just because I want them, rather than because I need them, I am now almost short-circuiting the faith in my household and saying feelings, my emotions are more valuable. So really what I wanna say today is I think it's really important when it comes to finance, take your emotions out of the money. As one of the best lessons I've learned, take your emotion out of the money. Um, I've got some stats for you. I like stats. Uh, this wasn't a survey last year done in New Zealand. Last year, 44% of New Zealanders opted to eat out or have takeaways at least once every week. Was it you? Uh, Brick, the, uh, the breakfast meal was the most skipped meal of, uh, of all of them in a day, mostly because people are running out the door. One out of five New Zealanders skip lunch and skip their lunch break away from their desk. And 57% of New Zealanders ranked convenience as their top priority because we, want, we, we gotta go, we gotta get things done, we gotta uh, make sure things happen. And ultimately, the way we were making decisions or as, as New Zealanders, the priority there was that there was a quest for convenience. And because of that quest for convenience, uh, we're making decisions like, oh, I've had a long day and I feel a little bit tired, so I'm just gonna Uber Eats. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a long week. 
Um, yeah, let's just get takeout again. Or I can't be bothered cooking. I haven't done the. Gro- I haven't planned to do the groceries. Let's just go and get some takeout. Now, all of that, that is essentially putting our emotions back into our finance, putting our emotions back into the economy, saying, oh yeah, I'm just gonna make decisions according or based on how I feel. Uh, John Ortberg has a great quote, it's one of my favorite quotes, and he says this, busy is not just a disordered schedule, it's a disordered heart. And when we're busy, especially, we tend to just make decisions on the fly uh, that, that, that really are just based on our feelings and how we feel. The Word of God puts it like this in First Timothy ver- uh, chapter uh, 6, verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all evil. Uh, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That essentially is saying, come on, the, the love of money, putting Putting, putting your heart into your money, putting feelings into your money, into your finance, that is the root of all evil. That's when we start making uh, not so great decisions. And what I love about God is God has put a life hack into this situation. And that, that life hack for ensuring that we don't slip into having the love of money, that life hack is tithing. That's right, fam, that 10% every time we get paid, that is tithing. Why? Because we need money. We need money to buy things, to do things. But what tithing does is tithing ensures every time that you uh, get your, your, uh, your salary into your bank account, when you tithe that 10%, that's effectively saying, you know what, I'm not gonna be dominated by my feelings. Even though my feelings might say, I don't wanna give this, I'm not gonna be dominated by money, but I'm gonna make my money bow down to God. I'm gonna make sure that, that that my money, the thing that I, that I might be tempted to love, I'm gonna make that bow down to God. And so when I tithe, I've been doing this for years, I don't do an automatic payment when I tithe, um, I do it manually every time. And I will open up my app and I will put in the amount that I'm tithing and just before I press submit, I will pray. And I will pray every time I will thank God for the ability to get wealth, but I will also then honour God and just declare that the wealth will have no power over me, but I choose what I do with this increase and with this wealth and I make it bow down and I make it worship God. And so I encourage, man, if you're you're not tithing, Tithing, that is a great way. Tithing is a wonderful way to ensure, to help ensure that the love of money doesn't grasp at your heart. And the last and final uh, point or key today, uh, the culture of cash, uh, emotion-based economy, and the last one, uh, to move from desire to discipline. And really we can have all the... uh, strategies or the desires that we want to be overflowing in God's abundance. But it's really important that we know how to take that desire and make it move through our body, our hands, our feet, to become something that looks like discipline. 
Um, and I don't know if you've come across the Scripture before. You probably have, and it's maybe only just new to me. And the Scripture is Ecclesiastes 10 and verse 19. And it says this, A feast is made for laughter, and wine maketh merry, but money answereth all things. Money answereth all things. Money answers all things, which I don't know if that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, but that's what the Bible says. If it's a thing, money will answer it. So let me, let me put it like this. Uh, this, is, uh, this is one of the ways that God spoke to me. Um, pay, Esther, paying your bills is not a miracle, you need money. Paying the rent is not a miracle, you need money. Fixing your car is not a miracle, you need money. You need money. Perhaps save the miracle prayers for rebuking cancer and healing the sick and raising the dead. But sometimes we're praying for a miracle and what we need is money. And God has given us money. He's given us increase. And I hear the challenge of God saying, come on, what are we doing with what He's given us? So much of our struggle comes because we haven't moved the desire in our heart to discipline. And I wanna encourage us today, and don't worry, I'm preaching to me. So, so much of uh, sometimes our financial lack Today is because, I mean, we're asking God to do things that He's already empowered us to do. Okay. And I, let me just say this, this is, if you're not sure how to move your desire to discipline, man, we are a part of an incredible church community. And one of the things that Ben and I did is we asked for help. We got in contact and and we made sure we sat down with an incredible financial advisor who helped us to ensure that we can come on, be on the right track and get disciplined with our finances. If it's a thing, if it's a thing that you, you, that, that, that's a physical thing, come on, money can pay for it. And we've got to be, we've got to steward that well. But there are things that money can't buy. Money can't buy love, can't buy content, it can't buy joy or peace, and it can't buy security. All this to say that when our discipline or when my discipline is out of whack, when I start to lack in my discipline, I don't try and get more disciplined, I go back to my desire. I go back to ensure that my desires are not aligned with the pleasures of this world, but with the presence of God. I'll end with this. It's an incredible quote from Dallas Willard. He says this, the human desire is infinite by its nature. It cannot be satisfied. You must take your stand against it. 
because you cannot satisfy it. You can never get enough money if you want money. You can never get enough power if you want power. You can never get enough love or enough glory. It's impossible. So fundamental is this truth that every person who wishes to follow Christ must understand this desire is infinite because we are made by God, for God, to need God, to run on God. We can be satisfied only by the One who is infinite, eternal and able to supply our needs. We are only at home in God and when we fall away from God, the desire for the infinite remains, but it is displaced on things that will certainly lead to destruction.